The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday, the 2nd of October, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Peter Fitzpatrick, TD, has resigned from the Fine Gael party. In a statement last night, the deputy said he had not been given the same level of support from Fine Gael that he had been giving the party over the past 15 months. The Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, responded in a statement saying, I spoke to Peter a few weeks ago when he decided not to seek a nomination to continue test the next general election as a Fine Gael candidate. At the time, he confirmed that he would continue to sit, act and vote as a Fine Gael TD until the end of his mandate. I regret that he has since changed his mind. Peter Fitzpatrick is with us uh, this morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning. I'm sure it was a big decision for you to make, uh, but uh, the Taoiseach uh, has insinuated that you've broken your word. Michael, back in July, I informed the Fine Gael party that I wouldn't be seeking the nomination for the general election for Fine Gael. I also stated to that uh, I wanted time with my family, my friends, my constituents to make up my mind. Uh, the next day, I got a phone call from the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. He was, he was in an airport. He was out of the country. Uh, he rang me up and he said, Peter, I'm disappointed that, uh, that you're not going to uh, run for Fine Gael in the next uh, general election. He said, Peter, is there any possibility that you would change your mind? I says no Taoiseach. He told me that uh, that uh, they'd done an opinion poll in in Loud and East Mead and that my my seat was safe in Loud and I had a safe seat going for the next general election with, with Fine Gael and would I not change my mind? I said I wouldn't. He said what about voting? I said I don't see any reason why I, 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 I still won't be voting for Fine Gael. Uh, as I said as I said in, in, in my press release there at the moment is as long as I'm satisfied that, that Fine Gael uh, will 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 not squeeze the middle class people, as long as 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 is a fair budget, as long as society is, is held. I have no reason why I shouldn't support uh, the Fine Gael budget. Mm. So the Taoiseach is mistaken or not telling the truth. Well, the Taoiseach made it quite clear that Peter Fitzpatrick would be elected in the next general election, being on a Fine Gael. He's disappointed that that I'm not going to go forward. Mm. And and in fairness, like. Uh, like, like I said, at the end of the day, it's it's my decision. It was my family's decision. It was my constituents' decision. And like to be honest, you can make up your own decision. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, I I have no reason why not to support the budget uh, going forward as long as I get some of the things that I want. Okay, but the Taoiseach in his statement said that you would continue to sit as a Fine Gael TD. Did you say that? No. I did not say that, Michael. So the Taoiseach is mistaken or not telling the truth? Well, as, as I said to you, the Taoiseach ran me from an airport. You uh, could hear all the wind and all going on. Mm. Uh, the only thing the Taoiseach was concerned about, as I felt, was that he needed Peter Fitzpatrick to be in the doll to push a button. Uh, I feel as though Peter Fitzpatrick has an awful lot more to offer in politics than this mm. here. I do thank Fine Gael for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to represent my county of Loud and East Mead. I feel as though I have an awful lot more to offer. Okay. I feel as though, like, uh, I feel as though... But we have two versions yeah. of events, which is yeah. significant, given that you're saying that the Taoiseach's version of events are incorrect. Uh, he also said that he regrets how you've changed your mind, meaning that he's certain, you said, that you would act and vote as a Fine Gael TD. 
Well, Michael, uh, I think the whole country has seen my press release. Uh, mm. uh, as I said, I informed the Fine Gael uh, party that it would be going for the second nomination for the for the election. Uh, I, I done a press release. Do you expect to vote in favour of uh, the People Before Profit motion on housing this Wednesday? Well, Michael, to be honest, with you, Michael, an awful lot has happened to me over the last number of days. Uh, this was a massive big decision. You can for tell me. it. You can tell us. No, no, mm. Michael, yeah. I, I, I will mm. be honest, with you, Michael. I'm mm. disappointed. Uh, and I also stated I voted for things that I, maybe I shouldn't have voted for. Mm. As a member of, of, of Fine Gael, I took a note. Well, that, that is what it is to be in a party. Yeah. And yeah. now you're not in a party. No. The Taoiseach is saying you're going to continue to do that. You're saying, well, not necessarily so. So I'm asking you specifically about Wednesday's motion. Will you vote with or against the government? Well, Michael, I'm going to be dead straight, Michael. Is, uh, I didn't really have a look at the motion as such, Michael. Uh, like... Like I've been under pressure mm. for the last number of weeks there. Uh, like it's not a very easy decision being, in, being 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 with the party for the last seven or eight years. I've got a lot of friends, I've a lot of contacts and everything there at the moment. And like you know, like like at the end of the day, Michael, uh, I will do the best that I think that will that will that will, that will suit my constituents. Mm. There there is serious issues in all over the country and especially in my my county of Loudoun and East Mead. There is a lot of problems with with the housing. Uh, I come from a business background, and. I, I didn't use that word lately. I did feel isolated over the last maybe 15 months or so. Is like, mm. like, uh, Particularly on abortion. No, uh, my, 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 and you'll vote against the abortion legislation. Michael, I, I said from day one with the abortion issue, I do mm. have a serious problem with non-restriction over 12 weeks. I, to, I, I also stated that I do have a problem mm. with fatal abnormality. I do have a problem with rape and I do have a problem with incest. Which means that you will vote yeah. against but the Michael, legislation when it comes under no the circumstances house. can I support abortion mm. Unrestricted for twelve weeks, and I said that from day one. Uh, people was trying to make it in the video session this morning. There's no Fine Gael whip on on, on on this on this vote coming up, as far as I know, mm. unless that's been changed. Uh, I know one one of the first times when when uh, uh, when the committee was together, uh, the teacher talked the six members of the uh, the independent committee down to uh, the, the government buildings, and they were going to put a whip in place that the, the six was voted together. But then I stated that I, that I was poor life. Uh, I had issues with this here at the moment, and then that, that was that was done away with. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Michael, is, uh, I had seven good years with uh, with Fine Gael. I said I said I said uh, a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. The country was in an awful mess. I felt as though Fine Gael and fairness done done affairs. Uh, I supported uh, Simon Coveney again, Leo Farrago, and mm. uh, and in fairness, like, uh, when it was all over, I uh, I shook Leo's hand and we moved on from that there. Okay, tell us a little bit about uh, the Fine Gael internal poll. Uh, which points to you getting a, a seat. Does it indicate that there's a, a second seat for Fine Gael in the county? Well, all I can say, Michael, is uh, I didn't I didn't realise that Fine Gael done a poll. As I said, to you, uh, I got a phone call the next day from 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 the Taoiseach Leo Farrakhan. He, as I said, to you, he was trying to get me to change my mind, and then when I said no, he he, he told me then that uh, that Fine Gael done a poll in mm. Loudoun East Mead, and he says that Peter Fitzpatrick will be elected as a TD in County Loud on the Fine Gael ticket. Should that be of concern to Fergus O'Dowd? No, 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 no. Mm. Uh, listen, uh, like, in fairness, the conversation was between the Taoiseach and myself. And uh, he, all he spoke about was your position and as to whether you'd be re-elected. He didn't say there'd be a second Fine Gael seat. Michael, uh, to be quite honest, Michael, I can't say yes or no, Michael. All, okay. like, the, the conversation took place was uh, that he said to me that, that Peter Fitzpatrick 
uh, on a Fianna Gael ticket mm. will be elected by the, by the people of Loud and East Mead in okay. the next general election if I stay in Fianna Gael. All right, well, it goes back to the last vote mm. uh, and uh, the last election was very good for Fine Gael in Louth to the surprise, I think, of some people, at least uh, two TDs, yourself and Fergus O'Dowd. And I think both of you have been disappointed by how that success wasn't looked on in the way that you would have expected it to have been. Fergus O'Dowd was demoted and you had hoped, I think, to become the Minister for Sport. Well, Michael, to be honest, Michael, uh, uh, I felt from, from 2011 to 2016, uh, I, I was a rookie politician. I was never really uh, a career politician. Uh, I have no third level education. I never got training in debates and speaking and everything else. Uh, I found politics in the beginning you know, I'd I, I be honest, it was something new to me. Mm. And in fairness, uh, I felt that the people in London East Mead treated me very, very fairly. Uh, uh, I, let's call it a spade a spade. I think everybody in London was very, very disappointed. Uh, I've got a consistency office and I know I've one of the busiest consistency offices in the country. The amount of people come in to me and Michael, I don't care what party they're from and I don't ask people what they, what they come from. Uh, we've got a good name, good mm. reputation. And Michael, I wasn't surprised that that, that, that Peter Party got elected in 2016. Mm. But yet again, you, you can't take the people for life for granted. But did uh, that make up part of your decision, the fact that you well, were overlooked? Well, uh, well I, I wouldn't and be, Michael. the county was overlooked. Well, Michael, I, to be honest, when you, when you look at the neighbouring county, like, like County Mead, and you, you see three ministers in County Mead, and you see no ministers in County Loud, I felt as though that Fine Gael did let the people of County Loud down. Uh, the, the government knows that, that, that the Brexit's coming up, the Brexit's going to play a big part going forward. And in fairness, like, uh, we've no minister, we've no really senior person in County Loud. And in fairness, uh, I'm sure Fergus is the same. And you felt like a button pusher, as you said earlier on. Uh, You didn't feel as though your views uh, were heard to the extent that you could yield any influence within the party in terms of forming policy. No, Michael, uh, a lot of people talk about these parliamentary parties. Like... Fianna Gael, I'm sure Fianna Fáil, I'm sure Fianna has parliamentary parties. You go, in, you go in at half past five in the evening and it's over the quarter past seven. And basically it's topics of the day. It's like it's like leaders' questions in the doll. The teacher goes up and he speaks for maybe 15 or 20 minutes and then a few minutes will speak. Mm. And, and to be honest with you, like, basically when, when you do actually say something in the parliamentary party meeting, it's like, it's like the leaders' questions. They get up and they say one or two words and they move on. I felt this though, Michael... I feel as though I've an awful lot more and I, I feel that the people in Loud need a strong independent. I've, I've been through my apprenticeship. I feel as though I, in the last seven years I've learned a lot. And in fairness, uh, my big strength at the moment is I listen and communicate with my constituents. And I feel as though as, I've, like, like the end of the day is Peter Vespatic will not get elected in the next general election unless the people of, of Loud and East Mead support me. I'm an honest individual person at the moment. Is I could have done what what Leo Varadkar told me. I could have I could I could have went in front of the convention. I had the numbers. I had mm. no problem whatsoever getting through the, the convention. Uh, I could have uh, as 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 the minister as as the teacher said to me. I had a safe seat in Loud. I could have talked to Hanny Reid that there. But you've decided to stand as an independent, and. I suppose people will be wondering if they vote for Peter Fitzpatrick. Is it just for Peter Fitzpatrick uh, or is it a TD that will support Fine Gael policies or is it a, an independent TD who will form part of a, an alliance? Have you been speaking with Ronan Mullen or Matty McGrath or anybody else for that matter? Listen, first of all, is uh, Peter Fitzpatrick was a businessman. Uh, I had 200 people working at one stage. I, I, I turned over over 200 million. I feel as though I've an awful lot the more to offer. Like, 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 like people just think, like, don't get me wrong, is, uh, uh, the amendment's coming up and I will support certain parts of the amendment. I've got serious issues in housing, health 
and education. I have a lot. Of, I have a lot to offer that moment. Is please don't think that the only issue that Peter Fitzpatrick stepped down from Fine Gael is because of the Eight Amendment. It's 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 it, 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 there's a multitude of, of issues at the moment. Is. But the do you expect to no, be no, part of a, a, an alliance no. or some sort of a, a grouping to fight the Eight Amendment what? or parts? No, 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 no. I have no intentions of being part of any indip- individual group to fight the Eight Amendment. If Peter Fitzpatrick is going to fight the Eight Amendment, Peter Fitzpatrick is going to fight as an independent uh, uh, TD. Okay. But now, do you have an intention to form part of a group, uh, regardless? Well, Michael, I'm going to be quite honest. With you. I got a lot of phone calls in the last number of days from from different groups in in the Dáil. Uh, as I said to you, my options are open. Uh, I will talk to absolutely anybody. I will sit down and n- negotiate. And uh, I'm an independent TD for the for the remainder of the Dáil. Okay. When and do you think you'll be putting your name forward? Uh, because there's a lot of speculation about the pressure this will put on the government and how the government may end up relying on Michael Lowry for support and uh, may find itself facing the electorate. When do you think the next election will be? Michael, I I don't know, Michael. To to be honest, Michael, I'm I'm a TD now for the last seven and a half years. Even when we had a strong majority in the first five years, Michael, there were still talks of elections. Like being a politician, like, you know, it's, it's not nice every time you open the newspaper or listen to the media, it's an election, it's an election, it's an election. Michael, I actually give, give up on, 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 on when a general election is. At the end of the day, the two people who will decide when we're going to have a general election will be Michal Martin and uh, Leo Farrakko. Okay. Uh, now, listen, uh, when, uh, when, when the minister, sorry, when, when Leo Farrakko rang me up that day when, when he said he wasn't running, he also told me that he thinks the door is going to run enough lot longer than, than I anticipated and he, he said to me listen Peter this doll is going to go on a lot longer than people anticipated so whether himself and Michal Martin has done a deal I do not know Peter I have to leave it there thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick Thank you Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM Now the largest trade union in the country wants uh, county councils uh, to take back over running bin services in uh, the country. They say uh, that uh, the industry should be returned to local authority control. This follows a review of uh, the waste industry by the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission and Adrian Kane, Subdue Public Administration and Community Division organiser, has been telling me more. The report is interesting on some levels Michael, but probably the most important finding is that Ireland is unique amongst any other European Union country for the manner in which it allows um, for domestic waste collection and where it's different than every other country is that it allows what's called side-by-side competition or Mm. essentially the market within the market so whereas every other European country has a, a local authority area in which either it's provided directly by the local authority or else there is a tender for the market covering the jurisdiction Mm. of the local authority. A a bin company gets the franchise in other words and it's just that company who will come and collect your bin. Yeah and then the local authority can lay down the the, the standards that have to be adhered to Mm. uh, at what time you can collect it and to ensure quality of service to to the domestic owner and it obliges them to provide a service for everybody within the area whereas whereas here you have complete deregulation that started to happen from the 1980s onwards and you can have the situation and I live in Cork now at this stage where three mornings a week Mm. there are different um, people starting as early as four o'clock in the morning uh, collecting your collecting your bins and the, the street is just full of bins and nothing else okay I, I take it that's outside of the bylaws is it 
say that again? Uh, at four o'clock in the morning, uh, I take oh, it yes. they shouldn't be out yes. at that time. No, no, they mm. shouldn't. But I mean, there, there's very little regulation mm. in relation to it, uh, all and and all that goes with that. But what you mm. will find is that increasingly across Europe, there's a trend that local authorities are taking it back into control because it turns out that it's more efficient to do so. Mm. Um, if you again another finding from that report is that 25% of households have no domestic waste service. Um, and that can increase to over, I think the last statistics that I saw, say, with regard to some of the Midland counties or Cavan, I think is over 50% of people have no domestic waste collection. So what do they do? Well, now, there is a question. Um, it, 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 that the report actually says that there is only 3% illegal uh, disposal mm. of waste by those households. I find that very, very hard uh, to believe. Well, it is possible, obviously, to deal with your waste yourself by going to the landfill or to the recycling centre. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of that amount of people, it's very hard to fathom. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, the great failing with this report is, is that where it, it essentially arrives at one definitive recommendation, that's to say that there should be more regulation. I think that's a nonsense. Um, we, we have probably around three tiers of regulation and we're spending an enormous amount of money trying to clean up illegal dumping. Last year, I think the, a figure of somewhere over €7 million Euro was spent on that. What would make an awful lot more sense, and if we stop looking at things through purely the market and commodities and all the rest of it, you could cut down on an awful lot of regulation, etc. If you went back to basics in terms of a local authority that was actually providing the service, you paid for it, there was a waiver system, and everybody got their bin collected. And I think from an environmental perspective, that, that would be... The, the way to tackle it. Now, I think that's probably somewhere down the line. But what SIP2 is looking for uh, in the first place, and certainly the report hints at this that should be done, and um, is to have this single tender within the local authority uh, area. Yeah. Um, because it's only at that stage then do you get economies of scale for whether it's operated in-house or externally as opposed to, um, you know, two or three lorries going on the same streets. And also, you, you can see that we're, we're way um, north of meeting our carbon emissions mm. targets as provided for under the, the Paris uh, Climate um, uh, Agreement. And it would be a very simple thing to do in, in trying to cut down on the, the number of trucks going through our towns and cities if you had a, a, a single provider. And that, that's what needs to be done in the first place. Uh, and what, what, what is peculiar about the amount of towns going through our, our towns and cities is that you might have two or three different companies servicing the one street, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, the prices are not being brought down as a result. It's quite the opposite of anything. Yeah, the, the, I mean, there's two things in relation to that. You... you you can't uh, the the only uh, the only area in which people can make money out of that is by depressing the price of labor and at this stage in terms of um that that industry uh, and in mm. some of the worst terms and conditions uh, in that industry because that's what happens is a downward pressure on the price of labor that's the only way you can compete as it were and this Where, is I, I gather why sip2 is interested in this uh, area yeah i, I mean what, what we want there's 5000 workers within within the within the industry there were 5000 workers by the way back in the 1980s as well so mm. it hasn't really changed all that has changed is that 
the, whereas the, those terms and conditions when they were provided by local authority workers were, were very decent terms and conditions and you had a sick pay scheme and pension scheme. Now people are by and large working on a minimum wage with no sick pay, no pension, um, no regulation at all, health and safety uh, quite sketchy uh, around it. And what, what, what we're saying is that you, you need to get back to a situation whereby in the first place, that you have a tender for the market, which is the the, the, the local authority area, mm. and and you'd start you start kind of civilising the 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 approach to it, and you could then reintroduce a, a, a waiver system as well. Right. But you'd actually save money, and it could be cheaper. And, and in most places where this has happened, it has turned out that the state provides a cheaper service because then you can start. Uh, withdrawing the resources that you're spending on regulation, as in the state is doing it, they're not going to be trying to circumvent anything. But is it possible to, to turn the clock back at, at this stage all these years on from the 1990s and uh, the investment that these companies have put into the systems that they have in place for collecting uh, and dealing with waste? Yeah, I, I, I suppose the most recent example I would turn to is Norway, which I think had up to 80% of it uh, outsourced. And now that figure has been reversed, as in 80% is now provided directly by the local authority. Uh, in Germany, that, that trend has been going on over the last number of years as well. So there's actually there's a huge reversal um, all going on all across Europe. And this is what is happening. And as I said, what the, the thing that the, the report um, most notably uh, pointed to, that we are the only country uh, that has this side-by-side competition going on, right? And yeah, as I w- w- would call it, it's kind of a free market fundamentalism, which has to end. And we have to have a more mature debate in terms of ensuring that the, the three strands that I would see to um, a progressive waste collection service is one, that it improves the environment and has accentuates um, recycling. Two, is that its value uh, for money for the, the citizen or customer and three is worker welfare that they have decent terms and conditions and by adopting the approach that I've outlined I think you can achieve, achieve all three. Adrian Kane is SIFTU's Public Administration and Community Division Organiser. Now, the Joint Committee on Business, Enterprise and Innovation is to meet today to discuss an amendment proposed to the Consumer Protection Bill by Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on trade. It would give consumers more rights surrounding the sale of gift vouchers. And Niall Collins, TD, joins us now. Niall, you're talking about gift vouchers being valid for... uh, a minimum of five years. Good morning. Absolutely. That's one of the um, provisions that we have in our legislation. Just, just to backtrack a little bit, um, um, Michael, this is an issue which has been knocking around the political system now for nearly over 10 years. It, it's a very significant um, issue for consumers uh, because th- there's a spend of about 350 million euros per annum on the gift card, on gift cards and on gift vouchers within the Irish economy. So it's a really, really significant spend. Now, within that figure of 350 million, it's estimated that about two thirds of that market, um, the gift cards and gift vouchers are unregulated. The, the, the one third which is regulated and which, with, with which we have no issue 
would be the cards which are uh, universal electronic money. For example, your one for all cards that um, could be can be purchased through on post. Mm. That's uh, there, there's proper oversight and regulation there um, through uh, a number of EU pieces of uh, legislation and anti-money laundering legislation. So that section of the market is okay. But what, what we're talking about here is um, your single branded store cards, your gift vouchers for, you know, hmm. pubs and restaurants. And the type and of problems I suppose we're all used to. I mean, I suppose everybody has been given a, a gift card or gave a gift voucher only to find out that it had expired by the time they went to use it or they went to use the gift voucher uh, but not to the full amount of the voucher and didn't get any change back. Absolutely. Look, there's a number of issues. First of all, the time period is not defined um, and, you know, um, many of these gift cards and gift vouchers, they're, they're not issued with um, any readily available terms and conditions. So what I'm saying in the legislation is that any gift card or gift voucher would be valid for a minimum period of five years. We're also providing for a definition of a gift voucher, which isn't defined in the law. So it would include all types of cards or vouchers, whether they're electronic, written, uh, in card form or, or otherwise. Um, we also want a degree of transparency in relation uh, to the terms and conditions. For example, if you um, that you can use a card at any point in time, in other words, that there wouldn't be restrictions on use. There's all sorts of different practices out there in the marketplace that you can't present a voucher during a sale, uh, that you can't present a voucher at weekends or during particular uh, peak holiday periods, for example. And then you've the issue which you outline yourself, Michael, that if, if I'm presenting a voucher with a face value of 100 euros and, and a product or a service is, for example, 80 euros, uh, you can be declined change or they can decline to uh, discount down the voucher and, and give you a change by way of leaving value on the voucher. You, people are often being told you, you, you have to use the full voucher or none of the voucher. And then there's, a, there's another practice which I was made aware of recently mm. uh, when I was researching this where uh, a person sought to present two vouchers uh, for a single transaction and they were declined. Um, so it, it, it's kind of, you know, some people are playing fast and loose mm. with, with the fact that there's no regulation and, um, the, you know, with the, with the whole transparency and the terms and conditions that come with it. So I think it's high time really that, that it was uh, tightened up. The, the government has said for... Uh, a while that they intend doing this themselves but mm. you know unfortunately they haven't come uh, to the table with any proposal we we published um, my bill a number of months ago we've debated it at second stage it has passed second stage in the doll it's now coming up for scrutiny at committee hopefully to proceed to committee stage and uh, I, I really hope that the government is serious about this and that they'll really uh, genuinely engage with it and, uh, and tre- it tre- treat vouchers as cash the same cash that paid for them in fact uh, I was in a, a restaurant not too long ago uh, and I'd just say that it was in the city, in Dublin City, uh, not a, a local restaurant, uh, and tried to use two vouchers at the same time. I was told no. Uh, I said, that's not fair. And they said, OK, you can use them. Uh, and they took my name. And I think I've been barred from that restaurant as a result. But there you go. Yeah, you see that, there you yeah. go. And, and, and another very important point is, like, you know, often at these, you, when, you, when you pay for these gift cards or gift vouchers, you know, there's no uh, regulation as to where the money is held. Often these you know, organize, whatever organisation you're buying it off of uses the money as working capital. Those okay. funds aren't secure. So if those businesses close or even change ownership, 
uh, you're, you're effectively an unsecured creditor. All right, and, I'm sure uh, we'll hear more when the yeah. committee meets at four o'clock this afternoon. I have okay. to leave you there because I'm over time. But thank you very much indeed for joining yeah. us as always. Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on trade, Niall Collins. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, Fergus O'Dowd, Fine TD for Louth has come in to us uh, this morning. We are going to talk about uh, the thousands of allegations of abuse against uh, disabled residents, obviously, but uh, it would be remiss of us not to mention the decision Peter Fitzpatrick has made and the interview that he, he gave uh, this morning. He said he heard from uh, the Taoiseach uh, a number of weeks ago and uh, Leo Radker told him that his seat was safe, according to an internal Fine Gael poll. Uh, have you had sight of that poll or have no. you any knowledge no, of that poll. Do you know of your seat is I'm safe? I'm looking forward to a call from Leo to say my seat is safe as well. Right. Like so, in other words, people Does, Is that of concern to you though? If he's no, ringing up Peter Fitzpatrick no. saying his seat is safe and he hasn't called you? No, 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 Michael. No, I think, I think uh, the measurement of Peter's decision mm. is that he's decided to leave a party which supports him and helped him and uh, people... But you, you've no knowledge of the poll? I've no knowledge of his poll, no, not okay. at all. And no. what did you think of his interview well, this morning? Well, I'd be asking teacher today about have they done a poll with, with me, but I'm happy mm. that I was selected uh, to run for Well, I take it it was a constituency yeah. poll. I mean, you couldn't say yeah. Peter Fitzpatrick is going to be elected if you didn't no. look at everybody in the no, field. No, no, yeah. I, I don't know. As yeah, he said yeah, himself, yeah, yeah. He, 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 mm. he spoke to Leo about himself. I haven't okay. spoken to Leo about any poll. Uh, and will you be speaking to the Taoiseach? I will, of course, yes. About of course, I speak to him about everything. Oh, uh, sure, yep. but uh, about uh, the difference in the version of events that both men are putting forward. Peter well, Fitzpatrick says... I think, I think says, that's a matter of... Uh, I, I think the key point is this. Peter was a member of Fine Gael, yeah. and clearly he has issues, and he left the party. And one of the biggest issues Peter had was accepting social yeah. change. Well, well the Taoiseach has said Peter Fitzpatrick yeah. has broken his word. Well, and Peter Fitzpatrick... I'm not going to attack Peter here. That's not my job. No, I'm asking uh, you to talk about the difference of opinion, because Peter Fitzpatrick is saying that what the Taoiseach is saying is not true. This well, is this is very important stuff. Can we trust the Taoiseach? Of course we can trust the Taoiseach. And we can trust Peter in terms well, of... Well, we can't do both this time around. If you listen to Peter, he said that the wind was blowing in the background. I think yeah. that's what he said. Mm. So, you know, there may, may have been clarity in what he was hearing. I don't know. But the key thing okay, is, so he's you, gone. You believe somebody may have been mistaken. I'm not saying that. The, I didn't hear the, the conversation. Both, the both men I don't think it's relevant in the context that... Oh, I think it's really relevant yeah. as to oh, whether we can trust what the Taoiseach yeah. well, says. Well, I think you can absolutely trust the Taoiseach. And, mm. and we can trust Peter that they're both, from their positions... So somebody might be truth. mistaken. I, I, I don't know, but I do know this, that Peter found it very difficult to accept social change and the issue, clearly a matter of huge mm. concern to him, I, was, I believe, the part of the driving force in why he's leaving the party. And mm. my view is entirely different in this context. Mm. I accept that you can, within our party, express any view you wish and hold it strongly. And it and can, you can be ignored oppo- and, and loud was ignored. You can oppose a policy, mm. you can debate it, yep. you can argue about it. But is, is, is he right? Democratic is party. Peter Fitzpatrick right? That's uh, when he says that Loud was ignored, overlooked. Of course it was overlooked. Uh, and that was Enda Kenny. Enda Kenny ignored County Loud. We gave Fine Gael two seats. The most marginal seats in the country are in this county. And Enda Kenny uh, ignored our county. Mm. And he put so you can empathise with them to some No, it's not empathise. Yeah, I believe yeah, that yeah. is absolutely yeah, well, that's what a I mean, fact. Yeah, in terms of and the fact uh, that he put three TDs isolated, uh, yeah, in yeah, county yeah, meeting yeah. as ministers, who are all excellent people, mm. and ignored Loud, it was always and remains unacceptable to me. And, and and, and as far as I'm concerned, that was a disgraceful decision. And what about the government's the support of the day? Yeah. on Michael Lowry? 
How does well, that sit with uh, you? Well, I mean, again, I've just been reading the papers today. Yeah. Uh, obviously, oh, well, you people, know the numbers better than anybody. Well, I do and I don't in this context. Everybody votes according to, obviously, to, if you're in a party, you support the party line, even though you argue. And would disagree with people. You argue it in the parliamentary party and with the minister and with the teacher about mm. all those issues. But you come out of the room and you agree on what's happening. What Michael Lowry does is what Michael Lowry does. And that's his business in the context of people elected him. He'll vote for or against the budget. That, that's up to him. He's not a member of our party. And obviously there are serious issues in his past that would concern so me. So you're comfortable with it? I'm not comfortable with it, Michael. I wish it were different. Mm. I wish it were much different. But we are making huge progress in mm. this county and in this country. But if and the government s- yep. doesn't lose the day sure. because of the support of Michael Lowry, that's okay, is it? No, it's not, Michael. But like, it's like it's, it's like. But it has drama. to be then. No, no. Like it's like it's like is the leaf going to fall from the tree? We don't know till it happens. Okay. So we don't know how Michael Lowry is going to mm. vote. But we do know what has put the tree together is mm. our economic policy, well, uh, is our increase in employment. Yeah. I just want to make one point about what Peter and he's absolutely wrong about influence on the party. The fact is that County Loud is the only county that has Drada and Dundalk named in the National 2040 Development Plan. We have got a huge investment in this county. We had launched nationally of policies in Drada and in Dundalk. And the ministers are paying huge attention to County Loud. And I reject and disagree with him on his view that there is nothing happening in the county. Of course there is. There was 18.5 million last week for for DKIT. And there's just... Drada and Dundalk are getting huge attention. Okay, well, I'm sure uh, both of you are honest in uh, how you interpret uh, the attention uh, that uh, the county is getting. Let's talk uh, about these allegations of abuse in the little time that we have, uh, obviously, our our time overridden by uh, this breaking story. Uh, But 4,600 allegations of abuse against disabled people in residential care. uh, And uh, this uh, also included over 2,700 cases of physical abuse. Uh, How did this information come to you? Under the Freedom of Information I've been looking Act, for and it was difficult to get it, wasn't since it? last January. Mm. So I'd been seeking this, these facts. I got nothing from HICO, absolutely nothing. They refused to give me anything. They were charging me €11,000 to get the information I now have. I had to go to the Information mm. Commissioner. It used to be free. It was in the Finnegale that no, but that was the legislation. No, no, it is free to apply, but mm. if they say they need to get money to because they have mm. to look for data, they charge you. So 11000 was the fee. But the facts... Then the information commissioner said, you have to deal with Deputy O'Dowd, Mm. meet with him and go through the issues. And this is some of the information I'm looking for. And I welcome it. I welcome the change of heart in Hickory to be more transparent. But it's really not about me. It's about the people in our institutions, people, uh, people who are at risk. Uh, people, you know, who have mm. disabilities, people who are elderly, indeed children as well. So and it doesn't mean necessarily that they were abused. Undoubtedly, it, some of them no. were, but yeah, these but are allegations. People they are allegations, made, Michael, yeah, but they're not being investigated individually. Mm. They're not being investigated individually. In other words, uh, what Hickor told is that a number, uh, and they just put a digit mm. in, was whatever the issue was. They were physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, emotionally mm. uh, abused or whatever. And then that goes into the mix. Now, HICWA do, does rate those and they put them on the risk ma- matrix. So they rate it as red or, or yellow, orange or green. And if it's red or yellow, they have a meeting every two weeks. And then if they feel there should be an inspection in that home, they go into it. But what they don't do, they don't look at the individual. They don't see, well, why was Johnny, why did he go through that trauma?
trauma? Why was he comatose when he went into hospital? Why was he left tied on a toilet for hours? Why was he abused physically, sexually or whatever? Because that is what is going on. That is what is going on. And that's what annoys me, Michael. Uh, uh, it makes me angry. Uh, and I just want the truth to come out in all of this. And this yeah. is part of the process. The process is, I believe, that um, the information that goes to HICRA should automatically go to the ombudsman. I met the ombudsman yeah. last Friday. I spoke to him about this. And the, the, he has, the ombudsman has the power to investigate every one of these. Yeah. But how many did he get in the last three years from HICRA? None. And this must Absolutely come as a, a terrible disappointment to you, of all people, because... I've been uh, campaigning it, this Well, you were to the fore it, yeah. of the Lee's Cross nursing yes, home scandal yes, of yeah. abuse and neglect, yes. which led to the establishment of HICWA, and welcome which is HICWA. the watchdog, which yes. is are, are, are over all these. Now, HICWA is saying this morning uh, that they're willing to pass on the information to Gardaí. Uh, is that satisfactory to you? No, it's not, because I wrote to the Garda Commissioner uh, about three years ago. I sent her 850 files, and she appointed a detective uh, superintendent to examine them and some guardy. Out of that came a potential to prosecute a number of people. But either the person who was abused was dead, the family was afraid that if the investigation went ahead they might be suffer within the nursing home and in some cases people had disappeared and couldn't be found. So briefly At that next? time Michael, mm-hmm. a memorandum of understanding, an agreement between the guards and HICWA was to be made was to be made mm. so that they would automatically get them. They gave them nothing. It never went ahead, Michael. Okay, well, Hickler was saying wrong. this morning that they will pass information on yeah, but to they, the government. Yeah, but they have to, mm-hmm. but, they, but they didn't do uh, it. And what else? I, I'm sorry to rush you. Sure, I know, Michael, no, really, I appreciate that. We no, have I appreciate that. Less than just, a well, I can put you, there's a lot more coming. There's mm-hmm. a lot more, because there's only... Leadership is about standing up for people, and I'm standing up for these people. And whether you're a backbencher or a minister, you can offer the leadership for change, and I'm going to drive that change, and I will be... I will be the voice of people who need support, who need protection. Who We mm. must make all these organisations accountable so that families can be sure that there are thousands, there are 30,000 people in nursing homes, there are 8,000 people in, in disability mm. centres and okay. there's huge, huge abuse going on in both. Fergus O'Dowd from the LTD for Louth. Thank you indeed for coming into us. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And it is all about Peter Fitzpatrick this morning, judging by the response so far. Morris from Navin, listening to Peter Fitzpatrick now. All that's wrong with him, Michael, is sour grapes because he didn't get a ministerial post. He was expecting sport and he didn't get it. Joe from RD, Peter Fitzpatrick is right. He said he voted for things that he didn't want to vote for, Michael. So clearly he doesn't have the same beliefs any longer as Fine Gael. So he's right to stick by his principles. He has been a good worker for the people of Louth. And I admire him for taking this decision. I'm sure it wasn't an easy one to make. Text from a listener. Clever move, Peter. Text from Emma in Dundalk and Emma says she's happy that Peter is running for election and the reason why, I'll be forever grateful for the help he gave me and my family at a very hard time. We called into his office as a last resort and we are glad we did. We didn't agree with his politics, Fine Gael, but we did vote for him at the last election and will most certainly vote for him again. 
Okay. Best well, it seems as though they'll get the chance to do that uh, and he'll be standing as an independent and it'll be interesting to hear what Fergus O'Dowd learns about this poll that Fine Gael has yes. conducted internally in the county of Louth. Uh, but when it, it comes down to it, I think any TD, if you speak to them privately, will tell you that on occasion that they vote uh, at odds with their own views on certain issues in line with the party and it's part of being a party and it's part of giving and taking and uh, at the end of the day you're happy with the overall policy that the party takes. Paddy from Navin, I'm listening in and it makes me think that Peter Fitzpatrick is whinging for not being um, elected Minister for Sport. There's people in the party a lot longer than him and they have been overlooked. I can't understand it. Uh, Why is he whinging about this? He didn't say a word about it. I think I said it. Uh, and uh, I don't remember Peter Fitzpatrick making any mention of it at all. I did ask if uh, that was part of his thinking that he was overlooked in that respect and that the county of Louth was overlooked in the respect uh, that, to a lot of people's surprise, they returned two TDs. That's right. And then he did make reference to Mead having the three ministers, absolutely. Yes. Oh yes, yes he did uh, no, 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 but I, I think it was May and Ferris who raised the issue of his ambition to become the Minister for Sport, if that's correct, because I don't think uh, he's ever said uh, one way or the other whether that was his ambition. I think it's a fairly good guess uh, and it probably did feed into his thinking, I don't know, uh, but it certainly was one of the reasons that he cited himself. And as to Louth being overlooked, uh, there was no disagreement this morning on that particular issue from Fergus O'Dowd. John says Leo Varadkar and many other senior politicians changed their minds on repealing the 8th. Peter Fitzpatrick quite obviously has the courage of his convictions. It's a shame that other politicians do not have the courage to lead rather than follow a particular line. Well done to Peter, says John. Charlie from Navin, very interested in Peter Fitzpatrick's honesty during that interview, Michael. He admitted he has voted for some wrong things. That's a very honest statement for a politician to make and I admire him for it. Wondering if this is going to be a trend now for politicians that they will leave the party if they are not happy with the party. I'm not, we are not cut from the same cloth, but I would wish him luck. Interesting as well about his talk with the Taoiseach, Michael. The Taoiseach seems to have a slightly different take on it. All very interesting, says Charlie from Navin. Okay, let's talk about a subject, I suppose, that we can all identify with and crime. Crime is on the rise and this is according to the Central Statistics Office, which published the latest recorded crime statistics and they refer to the second quarter of this year. The statistics show an increase in the number of recorded incidents across most crime groups and uh, the most notable is robbery which is up 15.1%. Uh, there's been an increase in sex crimes and murders indeed an aggravated burglary which has increased by almost 19%. We're joined uh, by uh, Michelle Puckhopper who's uh, the Executive Director with uh, the Crime Victims Helpline. Good morning to you Michelle and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, these are statistics and nothing more than statistics and uh, I say that because behind the statistics are real people who've fallen victim to these crimes and whether it's up or down that makes no difference in terms of the impact that it has on you I suppose when you look at the statistics in the overall picture it looks at how we're responding to crime and preventing crime but you trust these statistics because they've been released under reservation by the CSO uh, yeah that's right you know you 
we at the Crime Victims Helpline, we never want to see an, an increase in any crime at all. Um, like you had mentioned, though, the, the crime statistics have been released kind of, um, you know, w- with reservations by the CSO. So I think for us, it's, it's very difficult to kind of tell what is happening with crime. Um, but at the end of the day, just like you said, it doesn't really matter. These are percentages. What really matters is every person that's behind um, these statistics, all of the people who have been victims of crime and um, and that impact on them. All right. And uh, they say we're coming into the time of year when burglaries will be on the cre- increase and people will be encouraged to protect themselves or to prevent that type of crime uh, taking place against them and looking at their home security. But I, I suppose there's only so much you can do in an overall sense uh, when you look at uh, some of the categories uh, such as sex crimes, which has seen uh, a pretty dramatic increase as well. But at the Victims Helpline, uh, you work with people and help people and direct them uh, regardless of what has happened to them. Absolutely. So we provide support and information to all victims of crime. And so we are a good place to start off. So if somebody doesn't really quite know where to turn or if there's some place local to them that can support them, uh, the Crime Victims Helpline, it's a, a free phone number, 116006. We can um, talk with anyone, you know, listen, support, provide information about, again, local services, specialized services. So you mentioned, you know, sexual assault. There's some really great organizations in Ireland that provide counseling and court accompaniment and accompaniment to the Garda stations for victims of sexual assault. And so we'll help people get where they need to go. Indeed, the Rape Crisis Centre has just opened its new office in Dundalk, and perhaps not everybody knows that, but if they make contact with you, you can direct them to the best service local to them. Absolutely, yeah. And and obviously, um, not just rape or sexual Mm. assault, but any crime. And indeed, uh, there's uh, many aspects to this, including uh, judicial proceedings and how people find it very intimidating to go to court and that sort of thing. And you can advise in respect of that. Yes, so we can talk with people um, about just, you know, some people want to ring in and they want to talk about the emotions of it, the impact that it's had on them. Some people ring in and they just have questions about the criminal justice system because most people who fall victim to crime have never interacted with the criminal justice system before. It's all very new. So people want to know, what should I expect after I've made a report to the guards? What's going to happen when it goes to court or if it goes to court? Is there compensation available? Where can I get counseling? You know, there's a lot of different questions um, that, again, that anyone can ring into us and we can help guide them um, and answer their questions for them. You listen, support and inform. I think you said it's free to call and the number is 116006. That's 116006. Thanks, Michelle, for joining us uh, this morning. Michelle Pocapper is uh, the Executive Director of uh, the Crime Victims Helpline. Marie, what else have you got for us? Going back to that Peter Fitzpatrick story, Michael. Uh, Peter from the Dundalk area got in touch, says that he has no political affiliations, but that he is involved with people with special needs. And he just wanted to say that Peter Fitzpatrick is a great friend and supporter to people with special needs. That Peter Fitzpatrick went above and beyond the call of duty in helping set up a respite house for adults with learning disabilities in Dundalk, which will be opened before Christmas. And he said that Peter did a lot of work without ever talking 
talking about it or making a big deal of it and he just wants to wish him the best of luck in the future. Okay, well, I'm sure that'll be appreciated. I imagine you could probably say the same of all local representatives. Uh, they all work very hard, God knows. Liam from RD says that Fine Gael could be the big losers in all of this. I don't think there's any poll that will tell you, Michael, that there's enough support mm. there to elect Fergus O'Dowd, mm. John McGahan mm. and Peter Fitzpatrick. Oh, well, that definitely won't happen. Yeah, I'm sure that's impossible. This is what Liam yeah. is saying. So mm. somebody is going to lose out. I, I think it, it's a question of whether it'll be Peter or Fergus uh, or both of them. Right. What do you think? That will lose out. No, that either Peter will get the seat or Fergus will get the seat or both of them will get the seat. Or you have John McGahan. Well, realistically yes. speaking. Is an outsider, but mm. I don't know. You know me now. I'd, mm. uh, well, You'd hedge your bets. I'd hedge my bets. Mm. I'd hedge my bets because if you look at the overall picture, you're looking at somebody new coming mm. into the scene, someone that's young, that could be tapping into mm. maybe a younger uh, electorate than mm. maybe the rest of the candidates that are in the field. Mm. You know, there's a different age d- uh, dynamics mm. there. So there's a lot to play for, Michael. So mm. as an interested observer, mm. I don't know who I'd be putting my money on, but mm-hmm. you'd imagine Fergus O'Dead as a sitting TD. You'd imagine the Fergus is going to get over the post. Mm. But then I think it will be all to play for. OK, well, <laughs> as you say, that's the... Uh, future uh, and uh, we'd need a crystal ball to talk about it with any certainty. Absolutely and I'm sure we're going to be doing lots of mm. talking about it in the next couple of months. Okay. <laughs> will I finish on that Michael or have we time for one more? Sure give us one more okay. uh, very quickly. And it's still yeah. on um, the Peter Fitzpatrick issue. Um, a, a listener says uh, this is Jim from Dundalk and G- this is an, another one that is in support of Peter and says that he wishes Peter the best of luck, that he admires him as a politician and says I will be in contact to offer my assistance. So there you go. Okay. There's people coming up to offer uh, to help him as an independent because it will be a different uh, state of play, Michael, when you don't have the big political party behind you. Oh, very different, very different, I'm sure. Look, thanks uh, for that, Marie, and everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now, Sinn Féin will publish its alternative uh, budget uh, this week ahead of uh, the real budget next week. Uh, Advance of that, it's uh, already published its alternative housing budget. And uh, to tell us more, we're joined by Mead West CD, Patter Tobin. Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, You're talking about a a significant increase in capital spending to €2.3 billion. Yeah, so first of all, it's important to set the context out of this, and most people who listen to your show will be well aware of the context of this. There are 131,600 people in housing need right now in this country. That's if you break down the waiting lists, those who are in HAP tenancies and those who are in RAS tenancies. And on the flip side of that, only about 5,000 social houses were built in 2016, about 6,000 in 2017, and roughly the same in 2018. And the government have delivered zero affordable houses in 2016, 2017 and 2018. And about 70% of the government's plan with regard to social housing is to subsidise private rentals. Now, that's obviously uh, uh, very difficult because what you do is you're pushing up the rent in the market. You're not uh, increasing the capacity uh, housing-wise. And also people in those private tenancies are in a very precarious situation. So just figures-wise, 
Total spending on housing in 2018 by the government was 1.1 billion euros. And they're claiming that they're going to increase that by about 200 million euros next year, uh, which will bring it up to 1.3 billion. And Sinn Féin is saying that the depth of the crisis demands a far bigger response. And you're talking about delivering over 10,000 houses next year. 10,000 real social housing houses plus. And how many the year after? Um, it's roughly 10,000 each year uh, for the for the next number of years. So you'll be below the government target of 50,000 by 2021? Well, no, first of all, the government target, as I said earlier, includes 69% mm. of social But yours doesn't. Policies. But yours doesn't. They, they, they'll house 50,000 families. And those 10,000 houses that I mentioned are real social houses plus. No, I'm not arguing the point. I, I'm just saying that your figure is below the government's figure. But the, the point I'm trying to t- say to you is... We but I know the point is that you're going to build houses. I mean, we all understand the difference, but I mean, the, the point remains the same, uh, that you're talking about housing 30,000 families where the government will house 50,000 families. No, is it not remiss of you not to look at, at the private sector to provide housing for people? If you, if you hear me out for a second, we, I haven't included in that 10,260 uh, social houses, affordable houses, which would uh, each year would be 1,435, plus affordable purchase houses, which would be 3,195,000 uh, uh, houses. So the total public housing built by Sinn Féin each year would be 14,890, which is far above the, the government figures. Well, it's still, well, four, no it's still less than 40, 45,000. The government figure is 50,000 by 2021. The, the government figures uh, include subsidised oh, I know, rent. I know, but they're, they're talking about housing 50,000 families. You're talking about housing 45,000 families. We're not, first tops. of all, our figures don't uh, uh, involve a reduction with regards subsidised private rental tenancies. They're going to be still part of the mix in future. It's impossible to take all of those people out of those houses and then expect to have houses ready for them. But the, the point that I'm saying is there is a route for private um, delivery of housing in this state. What we're saying is that the government's dependency nearly uh, exclusively mm. on private rental a- accommodation is part of the problem in this state. Did you not and say you'd need to depend on it as well? What we're saying is that we would reduce the dependency on the private uh, rental sector radically over the next number of years, but we wouldn't be able to pull everybody out of, uh, of subsidised private rental tenancies over that period of time, because in that stage, you wouldn't actually be reducing the level of homelessness or the uh, housing waiting lists in this country whatsoever. But our mix is radically in favour mm. of social houses uh, development and building as opposed to the government, which is nearly 70% uh, private rental tenancies, which doesn't... And, and the other point I want to say to this is, the government talk about those figures. Now, if you take the future tense out of the government's language, the government becomes um, unable to speak, because if you look at the actual facts on the ground today and historically, the government's figures are nowhere near where they said they were going to be. Nowhere near. And, you know, you have a, a situation where... Just 4,922 were built in 2016, 6,268 were built in 2017, and roughly the same figure is going to be built in, uh, built in 2018. But there are other elements to this uh, plan that Sinn Féin have as well, which are non-budgetary uh, measures as well. Mm. We want to make sure that the approval, tendering and procurement process for public housing, uh, the timescale it does, is radically reduced from about 18 months under the government plans 
to about six to nine months and are under our own plans. Okay, well, stop on that because I know you want to talk about a, a rent freeze and tax relief and other measures uh, that uh, have nothing to do with building houses. Uh, but if you're talking about that procurement time frame reducing to six to nine months, how would you uh, deliver 10,260 houses next year? Uh, I mean, I presume you're talking about houses that haven't even uh, applied for planning permission at this stage. Well, there's a, there's, if you look at the, each local authority, they have a supply funnel of housing that they want to achieve over the next number of years. So many of them have made decisions on what exactly they want to build over the next years. The two major problems that they have currently is many of them don't have the land. So, for example, Meath County Council has very little land mm. available uh, currently for housing. So that obviously needs to be resolved. We know that there is a, enough land in public hands for about 140,000 houses to be built. So the government needs to start to make sure that uh, through the management of those blocks of land, mm. that, that land becomes available to local authorities. And also, with regards to the amount of houses that those uh, local authorities want to build over the next two or three years, you can speed up the delivery of those if you allow for the tendering process. That can be done within 12 months, because you've kind of lost me here in that you're saying that there'll be 10,260 homes built. And I presume by that, you mean that people will be given the keys and they'll be able to turn the key and walk in, in the door by the end of next year. There would be uh, 10,260,000 10, social houses built uh, by Sinn Féin by the end of next year. That's the, that's the objective that we have. And how? Because, uh, for example, for example, how will you get the land and how, how will you get the planning permission and how will you build the houses in a 12-month time okay, frame? So, look, you have a, a reduction of the approval, tendering and procurement process uh, to six months in many cases for these houses, okay? So you also have the governments and local authorities already have in place many plans uh, with regards to the delivery of these homes. And we also seek to restore the Part 5 requirements for social housing in private developments to 20%. From 10%. That that means when a builder builds an estate, he has to give 10% at the moment over to the council for social housing or else he he can uh, pay uh, a certain amount in lieu of the housing. And you're saying to to restore it to the old figure of 20%. So that, in part, would radically increase the delivery of social houses uh, to the market because some of those, those planning commissions that you mentioned earlier would already be achieved by those uh, particular developers as well. Now, it, I do want to mention, before, before we finish in this, the private rental uh, record of this government. And we've seen um, rents radically uh, increase in the state for about 25% increase since 2016. Uh, we've seen rents in Meath go up to about uh, 1,200 on average. And, you know, anecdotally, you and I can probably identify rents that are radically higher than that in many areas within the county. And this is one of the things that's really hurting people uh, in uh, low and middle income areas where they just cannot afford the rents that are being charged at the moment. So we believe that there needs to be a break put onto the, these rents currently. Um, and that break would uh, include a rent, uh, first of all, a, a break on rental increases for the next three years. So a freeze in the amount that rents can be increased. And secondly, in tandem with that, we would provide a rent relief worth about 8.3% up to about uh, the value of about €1,500 per year. Uh, And that would be rents that the renters would get back in their pockets uh, at the end uh, of the tax year. And And the total cost of that would be €265 million a year. And would that be given to HAP recipients? 
this it would be given to people in a pro rata basis on the level of income that they're actually paying themselves mm. towards the rents that they're they're paying. So if a HAP recipient is having the income paid for in total um, by HAP, well, obviously that's not coming directly out of their income and the rent relief on that uh, wouldn't equate. So that's a, that's a really important issue, Michael, because right through me at the moment, Families are to the pin of the collar with regards to rents. And this government have, they called it, they, mm. they said they introduced a... But the government pays the rent for them in a lot of cases, doesn't it, through HAP? That's the point I'm saying. So in other words, if, it's, if the rent is being paid through HAP mm. on that particular issue, yeah. it's not being introduced so if the rent to is, their own income. If the rent is... They, they can't get rent or tax relief mm. on income that is not being paid through... through but if, 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 the, if the rent is 1500 and the council gives... 1400 uh, and the HAP tenant has to pay 100 to make up the 1500 Are you suggesting that they'd get tax relief on that 100 I would say that my, my suggestion uh, would, it would be that people would get tax relief on a pro rata basis. So the level of income that they're paying yes. from... Well, that's what I said to you. So would they... Would, would, yes. would, would, would they they'd get tax relief on the one... On this point. Oh, well, I'm not arguing. I'm just trying to understand what the Sinn Féin proposal is. Is it that they would get tax relief on the 100 euro that they pay in rent? In, in that case, yes, they would. Okay. Okay. So, um, and but the, the point of this is, right now in Midwest, most of the counties, or most of the towns, if not all of the towns, don't have any rent cap currently, and those rents are spiraling through the roof currently. And it's just incredible that we have the minister for the junior minister for housing in this county. And on your radio show a couple of weeks ago, he stated that he felt that rents in Mead weren't high, and. Anybody that's trying to pay rent in Mead will tell you that they are literally hammered uh, income-wise. People are paying 50 and 60% of their disposable incomes currently uh, on uh, rents. And that's a unsustainable uh, path for most families. Damien English said that rent isn't high in Mead. On your show, if you listen back about a fortnight ago, Damien English, the junior minister for housing, Mm. said rent wasn't high in Mead West. That was his, his actual statement, and I, I, I actually typed it Oh, in, me, in, in Mead West, uh, in places like Kells? In places, no, Mead, places like Navan and Trim and Aboy, he said that rents weren't Well, they're high. far lower. Uh, I mean, when you take uh, the average rent in Mead, it comprises of what's being paid in those areas and the 1500 1600 that people are playing in places like Rathoth, uh, which gives you that average of 1200 Rent is, on average, right through Meath, is €1,200. And rents in the likes of Navan would easily uh, exceed €1,200 for families. And people who are on the average industrial wage, um, who are maybe clearing about €25,000 a year, um, those rents are, are massive, are absolutely massive. They're nearly 50% of their income to take home. And when you see that increasing year by year, the, the portion of income that these people have left for food, for education, for healthcare, for transportation, is reducing all the time. And first of all, it's unfair in those families. And second of all, as an economy, it's actually doing damage to the economy because these people are then forced to go back to their employers and demand higher wages, which obviously starts uh, wage-related inflation, which starts to make the country um, unaffordable uh, with regards to business as well. So we're simply saying that rents 
are way too high at the moment. Let's freeze them for three years. And in tandem let, uh, with that, let's give people who are to the pin of the collar a tax break with regards to that. And that project would last for three years and it would allow for some level of relief to people who are hammered economically due to the, the government's uh, situation. It's, it's clear in, in my view that the government talk a talk about the housing crisis. They say that they're worried and stressed and it's difficult and they're trying to ameliorate the, the damage of the housing crisis. But I have no doubt that the, ideologically, Fine Gael believe that actually the housing uh, system in this country is the correct way to go about it. They have allowed uh, for REITs to come into this country. These are international investment firms who, take a, who pay a, um, a tax level of about 2.5% who themselves have massive access to, to credit, which is nearly at 0%. And these REITs are in competition with first-time buyers who are trying to buy new houses. And the REITs are, are paying in some markets, some parts of the country, are buying about 45% of the new houses that are coming onto the market. They're squeezing first-time buyers out, and they're increasing prices for those. And we also have a situation in this country where about 4 billion euros worth of mortgages are, are now in the hands of the, uh, the vulture funds, unregulated vulture funds, which are, are given all access to um, the Department of Finance, but refuse to come before committees in Leinster House. The, the government have allowed mm. this housing crisis to go on and on and on. Okay. And the level of energy under the and same the level of focus with the level of regulation as uh, the other banks and the same rules and uh, people have uh, the same rights in terms of the contract that they have, uh, that is, their mortgage and many of these vulture funds are, are representing pension funds and that type of, of thing. But my point would be that if I, if, if I on the Finance Committee asked for a bank to come in in front of us, the bank would come in in front of us. There'd be no doubt about that. But the Finance Committee asked for the Vulture Funds to come in a dozen times in front of them. Mm. And the Vulture Funds have basically have given the two fingers to the elected representatives in Leinster House and told them that they're not coming in front of them. And on the flip side of that, when they want to speak to people in power in the Department of Finance, the Vulture Funds have been in there about 125 times over the last number of years. Okay. And the truth of the matter is, like, we, we know, I know, I know of a, um, a, a farmers, business people and homeowners who've tried to speak to those vulture funds and they've all the time refused. And yet those vulture funds are buying from the banks currently at knockdown prices. Prices okay. that those banks wouldn't give to those homeowners uh, farmers are our business. All right, I've run over time. I have to leave it there. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Mead West, Patter Toby. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Older pedestrians are at uh, their greatest risk of uh, dying whilst uh, they're out walking because of road traffic accidents. This is according to preliminary research findings published by the Road Safety Authority. Dr Aoife Kervik is policy and research analyst with uh, the RSA and uh, she's on uh, the line. Uh, and you've been looking at uh, the statistics over an eight-year period, Aoife. Exactly, yes. So yesterday I presented at the RSA's annual academic lecture at Kickstart Irish Road Safety Week, which runs this week. Um, And absolutely, yeah, I presented initial findings, or top-line findings, from an ongoing body of work looking at pedestrian fatalities on Irish roads from 2008 to 2015. And the majority of people uh, who had fallen victim to a road traffic accident had been out walking in the dark. Uh, yes, absolutely. So when we looked at the pedestrian fatalities and looked at the time frame, the majority occurred during the hours of darkness. 
and I suppose not too much surprise in that, probably or possibly not too much surprise either in how they weren't wearing high visibility clothing. Exactly. So when we looked at the number of pedestrian fatalities that occurred during this time frame, the hours of darkness, 98% were found not to be wearing a high vis. And this is particularly problematic because, as we know, there's a large body of international research confirming the protective effect that wearing high vis can have for vulnerable road users such as pedestrians. And I think mm. these findings really do reinforce that message. Uh, academics like yourself might know that. Uh, I'm not sure that the rest of us are as uh, aware or would think about it too often because when you're out uh, and walking on the darkest, narrowest of country roads without a, a footpath and a car is coming at it at you, you can see it quite clearly. And I, I think uh, it might be true to suggest that sometimes we forget how difficult we are to be seen. Absolutely. And, and our message here is, you know, if you're going to be out walking, particularly in the evening, wear a high vis, carry a torch, make yourself as visible as possible, because absolutely, it, it could save your life. And any member of the public who would like to have a, a free high vis, you can get one by contacting the RSA. And the RSA has been doing that for a, a number of years. Indeed, many schools and road safety campaigns have been giving out high vis uh, jackets for people to wear like that uh, and perhaps uh, that's part of the reason why uh, as bad as these statistics appear on the face of it uh, there's been a, a great improvement and far fewer pedestrian deaths on the road Yeah, absolutely, so agreed, you know, some of these findings are, are particularly concerning but taking us with a broader view, if we look at 2006 for example uh, the year that the Road Safety Authority was set up look at pedestrian fatalities then, you know, until 2017 last year, there has been a 59% reduction overall. But of course, I mean, any death in our roads, it is one too many uh, and we need to do more to, to ensure that, that those figures come down. Okay, and uh, you've been looking at the amount of alcohol consumed. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So when we looked at the number of pedestrian fatalities who had a record of, of whether they consumed alcohol or not, we found that 49%, so basically one in two pedestrians killed, had consumed alcohol. And just over half of those, again, had consumed alcohol to, to quite high levels, so more than four times the legal driving limit. Uh, and what would that be in uh, relation to the number of drinks that they might have had? Uh, well, I suppose that it, it varies a little. You know, it, it, I suppose we don't have kind of exact data as to the number of mm. drinks. It depends on the it depends on and so I, I couldn't really confirm the number but it, it certainly would be more than one glass of wine put, put it that way I suppose. Mm. Uh, less than 10 and probably more than four possibly yes although mm. I can't I couldn't confirm it uh, well I, I understand that and uh, I'm not asking you to give us a, a scientific answer but in or around uh, that uh, amount but I mean I, I think a lot of people would uh, go out for a drink and have three or four drinks or, or possibly more and decide the safest thing to do is to walk home I suppose that's why I'm asking you uh, people think they're doing the right thing I know and absolutely these findings are not to take away from people who, who are making you know, the responsible decision not to get behind the wheel of a car and drink drive. And we want to commend those people. But I suppose it is also to raise awareness that alcohol impairs, you know, and it impairs at low levels and it impairs whether you're a driver, whether you're a pedestrian, cyclist or motorcyclist, you know, and the science is pretty clear on it. Even at low levels, alcohol will impair your ability to track moving objects, for example. It'll impair your ability to judge distance, and your decision-making, and, and all of these are, are crucial. When you think even something like crossing a road, you know, when there's traffic, mm. ability to track different objects, judge distance, it, it's 
really crucial for that. So it is important to raise awareness as to the potential danger you could be placing yourself in if you walk home while intoxicated. And I, I suppose in fairness to the deceased and their families, we'd have to assume uh, that in some circumstances, at least, it's coincidental that they had had a few drinks uh, whilst uh, being involved in one of these accidents uh, or uh, is there more of a definitive link between the alcohol and the accidents uh, do you believe for example that it's uh, because they might have staggered or because they didn't react quickly enough yeah but to be honest I, I I'm conscious and as you say out of the utmost respect to the families and the victims I, I suppose I don't want to comment on any individual cases I mean when it comes to looking at the role of alcohol in these collisions it is a very, very complex analysis. We are particularly lucky in Ireland in that we have uh, access to really exceptionally detailed, high-quality uh, data from Angarda Shiakona and actually from the coroners of Ireland. So it's, you know, it's a consideration of all of the factors involved in the collision. And I'm sure everybody would agree you react slower if you've had a, a few drinks. Uh, I, I gather it's the case, uh, given uh, your age, the older you are, the slower you are to react to things. Sure. Uh, well, I suppose in terms of what, what I'm able to comment on, in terms of what mm. I was presenting on yesterday, you know, they are kind of the initial sort of top line findings from this ongoing piece of work. And certainly, you know, this has really highlighted the need for us to look in more detail as to these pedestrian fatalities involving older people. Um, we actually had an expert, a professor from Belgium yesterday over who spoke as part of the annual academic lecture and he kind of highlighted some of the, the key risks for, for older pedestrians. But I mean, certainly, yeah, it's, it's something we're going to explore further so that we can gain a better understanding of this. Um, as part of, you know, I suppose, the, the reason that we're doing this report is so that it can inform an evidence-based pedestrian safety campaign that will be run early next year. And as part of that, we'll also be conducting an in-depth survey of pedestrians in Ireland regularly using the roads. And certainly we'll be, we'll be aiming to, to include older pedestrians in there so that we can get a better understanding of, of the real everyday risks um, and their attitudes and perceptions towards walking in relation to that. And to think of those risks and how you can counter them, I, I gather as well, by thinking uh, that when you're walking home, it's dark, you may not be seen, uh, you may react slower if you've consumed alcohol and if nothing else, uh, at least to think about wearing high visibility clothing. Uh, and uh, sometimes uh, we do mention on the programme as well that you'll find it difficult to convince some people to do that, like uh, children and teenagers and perhaps they could put uh, something uh, that is high visibility uh, onto their school bags and that kind of thing but to be safe yeah. and to be seen Absolutely, yeah yeah. And as, a standard, as part of the packs that we give to schools at the start of the year they do include um, smaller items of sort of high visibility bits and pieces that can be attached to school bags and stickers and so on mm. um, because absolutely yes it's, it's important to get as much as much high vis out there as possible Yeah well we're already seeing the dark mornings and uh, they'll be darker later as we go into the winter uh, and in around the time that children are making their way to school but it's a, a message for all of us uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here this morning uh, with uh, those statistics uh, Dr Aoife Kervik is Policy and Research Analyst uh, with uh, the Road Safety Authority, that's the RSA, and that interview was a part of LMFM's Road Safety Week, which is in conjunction with the National Road Safety Week. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents that Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Sharon White of our D station joins us for the report this week, and we begin in Dundalk, where a young man was assaulted. A couple of fellows jumped on him, apparently. That's right. Good morning, mm. Michael. In the early hours of Sunday morning, about 3am, a young man was walking in the Ramparts Lane area in Dundalk when he was jumped on by two unknown men and he was punched in the body and in the face. The young man sustained cuts and bruising to his body and face and had to be brought to hospital. Both the culprits in this attack were described as being in their late teens or early 20s and they were wearing tracksuits. If you witnessed this assault or saw two young men matching the description of the culprits near Ramparts Lane, we'd ask you to phone Dundalk Garda Station with any information you may have. All right, we go to Navin for the next report and uh, a break-in. This happened Saturday night, uh, Sunday morning, and it was a a local school that they broke into. That's right, yeah. In the early hours of Sunday morning, between 1am and 7am, Skullneve Owen in Winetown area of Navin was broken into. The windows uh, were smashed in the school and a very small amount of property, thankfully, was taken. Although there is CCTV footage available and the crime is being actively investigated, we would appreciate if you could call uh, Navangarda Station if you were in the Winetown area and you saw anything suspicious early on Sunday morning. Okay, we were talking with the Crime Victims Helpline uh, Mm. about uh, the dark evenings uh, and so on and how this is uh, the time of the year when you see burglaries on the crease and you have a number of burglaries to report on from the Ashburn district. Unfortunately we have, yeah. A number of burglaries have occurred in Ashburn. Now this is over the past couple of weeks but a few of them have involved a dark coloured Audi car with a number of male on board and actually this car has been associated with burglaries throughout the Louth and Meath area so we would ask people to be vigilant for any uh, cars that they see like this a dark coloured Audi acting suspiciously in their area and if they could report any sightings to their local guardie please Okay a stolen digger next Uh, this uh, was taken in Old Castle Yeah, this would be quite noticeable. Hopefully uh, somebody saw something. Um, A digger was taken from a field in a place of Drummond in Old Castle on the night of the 29th or 30th of September, last Saturday or Sunday morning. The digger was parked in the field overnight and the machine would have been big and very noticeable if it was being transported out of a a field in the middle of the night. Perhaps you saw this white digger being driven on the road near Drummond. And if you did, please contact Kelsgard station with the details of the sighting. Okay, well, we'll go to Dundalk next. And I think you're hoping that whoever is responsible for this crime will end up inside the courthouse because of what they did outside of the well, courthouse. Well, they seem to have an affinity with the courthouse themselves. So um, we're talking here about um, an individual who decided to spray graffiti on the walls of the courthouse in Dundalk last Wednesday morning at about quarter to ten in the morning. There was a substantial amount of damage was caused to this old historic building. CCTV footage now has been viewed and vital evidence has been located. However, if you know anything about the damage caused, can you let Dundalk Gardaí know or alternatively maybe call into the courthouse and tell one of the guards there the information that you have. Uh, Robbery to report on next at a a, a local bookmakers in Ashburn. Yeah, this uh, robbery occurred in Ashburn at 3.30pm last Friday, the 29th of September. One man entered Paddy Powers Bookmakers on Frederick Street in Ashburn. He went over to the staff and demanded money and threatened them. However, he left the shop without getting anything from the staff. Maybe you were in Frederick Street around the time of this robbery. That's 3.30 last Friday. Did you notice anyone running maybe from Paddy Powers or down the street? The suspect is believed to have been wearing a peak cap and he was quite tall, about six foot. 
Gardy and Ashburn would be really thankful for any information you can give them for this investigation. Okay, we'll go to a crime that has happened on a number of occasions and you're highlighting it here today in the hope that it will prevent other people from falling victim to this fraud and it's a message in particular for young people. Absolutely, yeah. Guards in Dundalk um, have worryingly come across a number of instances that young people have met with strangers to buy mobile phones off them. Uh, the way it seems to be happening is arrangements are made to sell the phones at a business premises around the town and the buyers arrive to buy the phones they are distracted and end up paying hundreds of euro over for a bag of sugar <laughs> um, yeah, I shouldn't laugh but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not what like I was a lot of people say, are yeah. out a lot of money and of course, yeah. it's something that's worrying in Dundalk and indeed anywhere around the area just be careful if you're buying phones Alright and uh, we'll conclude with more advice uh, this time uh, for people who are in business and uh, an exhibition actually that will take place in Navan to help with uh, making sure that their businesses are secure. That's right, yeah. Finally, just a reminder to people that we are holding a business security exhibition in the Ard Boyne Hotel in Navan tomorrow and it's on from 11am to 7pm. There'll be exhibitions covering business, home, personal safety and security. The entrance is free and it's open to everybody not just businesses to attend there'd be a number of talks during the day including cyber security at 2 p.m business fraud at 3 p.m and gdpr at 4 p.m okay you said uh, the dreaded gdpr absolutely yeah and i think a lot of people do find it uh, hard to come to terms with uh, but uh, perhaps uh, people will be interested in learning more from angarji Econ about that or some of the other issues that you said uh, you'll be holding workshops on uh, that's in navin tomorrow from 11 to 7 and thanks for coming in to us this morning that's garda sharon white of rd garda station we'll return to the garda crime desk in around the same time on next tuesday's program now before we leave you today let's uh, take the little time that we have left on the programme to go back to you and some of uh, the thoughts and comments that have been coming. Maria's back with us. Yes, and not still, Michael, on Peter Fitzpatrick. Margaret got in touch and Margaret's commenting on the many comments we had regarding Meath having three ministers and Louth having none. And the point Margaret is making is that Peter Fitzpatrick said Meath has three ministers and Loud has none. Well, Peter, as far as I can see, Loud has got more with two TDs than Meath has with three ministers. Having three ministers doesn't mean a county benefits because Meath most definitely still hasn't, still no sign of the new hospital promised, Michael, before the 2011 elections. Oh. So there you go. They never forget. Yeah, they never do, do they? Uh, I think it was uh, 2007 or 2008 uh, when Dermot Ahern, a Fianna Fáil TD minister at the time, said that there wasn't a, a red cent in the exchequer for that hospital. And I thought that was put to bed then. Uh, but we still get calls. Jack from Cullen, his point is that he feels Peter Fitzpatrick was doomed from when he stood up against abortion and was man enough to do so. Leo, he felt, was always going to get rid of him. Well, I don't think that's the case. Mm. Well, I think <laughs> I both, mean, both yeah. agree that the Taoiseach uh, rang and asked him to stay. Uh, there is a, a disagreement because uh, the Taoiseach is saying that Peter Fitzpatrick uh, uh, agreed uh, to uh, continue as a Fine Gael TD, act and uh, support and vote in favour of Fine Gael for as long 
long as uh, this term lasted, uh, Peter Fitzpatrick has a, a very different story and it says that he's resigned from the party and will be an independent TD as and from today. John from Drogheda phoned in and John was very interested, he said, in our conversation about who might win those seats in Louth mm. for Fine Gael. And he said there is the possibility that the, the vote could be split and that both, mm. uh, you know, two candidates mm. could lose out. Or also there's the possibility that with Peter Fitzpatrick and John McGahan both being from one part of the county, that their number ones and number twos may, mm. you know, transfer to yeah. one another. And that Fergus O'Dell could lose mm. out. So well, it's going to be a dogfight. There's no doubt about that. It's uh, going to be one of the most interesting constituencies in the next election. I mean, it's very possible that Sinn Féin will get two, Fianna Fáil will get one, and Labour will take the last seat. Sean from Dundalk says Peter Fitzpatrick is right that the Taoiseach completely overlooked Louth, gave three ministers to Meath and none to Louth. Maybe Leo will think about that the next time and spread the ministerial roles around a bit more evenly. Okay, well, I'm not sure that's... (laughs) How people would recommend you do politics, uh, that it should be based on ability and policy rather than geography. But we'll make that the final word on the programme today, Maria. Thanks indeed uh, for that and to everybody who has been in touch with us. Now, remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, later this afternoon if you'd like to listen back for some reason. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Ross Leahy for researching, and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.